You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Well, it's a tough one, guys. It's a Tuesday that uh, we are not going to be able to fit everything in. I promise you that. We got Stephen A. Smith coming on. We got to talk about the NHL season starting tomorrow. We got Worldwide Wob breaking down his Wob investigation into Kyrie Irving at the club. And, of course, we got to talk to a Ravens player, Bradley Bozeman and his wife, about the game this weekend, living in a van down by the river and everything else. There's too much going on. And we start in the most pressing place, which is the NBA postponements. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, with you on a Tuesday on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. All those great guests going to join us on the Goodyear hotline. But Fitz, we talked about a number of things today on Around the Horn. And even since then, conversation around the NBA has become even more confusing, even more um, convoluted. All these games being postponed, and you know better than anybody from being on this show with me every night how much I said before the beginning of basketball season, whether that be collegiate or professional. I just don't see how this works. It's indoors, small rosters, no masks or helmets, no distancing implicit within the sport itself, tons of travel in the winter at the peak of coronavirus. How's this working? How is this working? We saw it work with a bubble for very good reason, but this you've, you've taken away all those restrictions And I'm surprised that we even got this far. And I will be surprised if they just plow ahead without making serious changes, even more so than the protocols we saw today. Uh, First and foremost, you're burying the lead. Did you win on Around the Horn? I did not. I got absolutely robbed by reality today. He was trying to make good television, uh, and I was being a Debbie Downer because I was being uh, accurate and realistic about COVID when it comes to... One of the questions was whether Alabama is the greatest team of all time, and I said, is that really something that we could tell during a COVID-crushed season where like teams and players were gone and and conferences weren't playing? I got like minus nine points for that. All right. You know what? I didn't want to have to do this, but now I'm going to have to beat him up, which means yeah. I'm going to have to train Can for a very long time. crush some skulls? Yeah, he is much, much tougher Very than fit. You are in uh, trouble. Yeah, yeah that, that is a fair <laughs> point. Okay, so when you look at the, the protocols, this is really – what we're seeing right now is the NBA hanging on by a thread. I, there, mm-hmm. There's no other way to say it mm-hmm. at this point. And you're right. That one of the things that we almost took for granted was, well, okay, they got through the bubble. Now they're just going to go into a season. It's not that simple when you're not in a bubble and the NBA is seeing that at this point and they're really they're getting their butts kicked I mean every sport is trying to feel figure out how to deal with it but you're right the roster sizes the limitations and frankly I mean I was harsh on the NFL a few times for not coming out and at least giving themselves some wiggle room or some policy but they've made it through I'm stunned that the NBA hasn't figured out practice squad sort of opportunities or or ways to expand rosters something they can do because if they are going to be so stubborn about making sure games are getting played then they have to acknowledge that at this point already games are not being played. So at some point you have to look around and say, how do we fix it? And if you're not willing to go into the bubble, then you're going to have to treat everybody outside of a bubble like they are in one. And that takes a level of accountability and focus. I'm not sure you can genuinely expect. One of the things that on the call today, Ramona Shelburne said, and and later sort of altered, but she said, you know, we saw this in baseball. We saw this in football, like this, this initial hit that gets you really scared. You power through it and you figure things out. I do not believe that is the case for basketball because in baseball, there's inherent social distancing. The game is outdoors. The rosters are bigger. That was guys making bad decisions, getting back to, you know, doing the things that they were supposed to and following protocol for the very short sprint of a season that they had was a much smaller ask 
than what we're trying to get basketball players to do over a much longer season. And also, again, just the realities of the sport itself make it so that I do not believe that they will settle into a rhythm the way that we saw with basketball or even with football. Um, You know, Rachel Nichols talked about this on The Jump today. was sort of this big, long monologue. We took just a minute or so from it, but I think she nailed what the end question is, which is if you are looking at this, and I said this on Around the Horn, how many other things in the world – Are we choosing to say this is not possible? Movie theaters, rock concerts, indoor dining at restaurants, massive businesses are being affected. And we are understanding there are no extraordinary measures that will allow that to happen right now during this. We're not doing that with sports. We're just letting our athletes' bodies and futures be sacrificed without any long-term understanding of how it might affect them and how they might be spreading to people in their households and to friends who then go somewhere else and spread it again and then cause some of the deaths that we saw. 4,000 people died on Thursday. Anyway, here's what Rachel Nichols had to say about the reality of what pushes the NBA. This is an eight to ten billion dollar a year business. The effects of just shutting down until players are vaccinated would be catastrophic to that business, both short and long term. When those diving for their fainting couches today say this is about the money. Yeah, absolutely. It is about the money. Pro sports have always been about the money, and you are perfectly within your rights to be disgusted with that if you choose. But it's also the reason the NFL, Major League Baseball, college football played through postponements and positive tests. It's just that the degree of difficulty was always going to be harder for the NBA, which plays several games a week indoors with fewer bodies available per team in what now is the absolute worst spike of this virus. So should the NBA go back to a bubble? Good luck convincing players to be locked away from their families for the next eight months. Should the league expand rosters? Seems like it. Should the guidance change on how teams hold in-person meetings and practices or whether they hold them at all? Maybe. So there's a lot there, Fitz, but I want to quickly say, I think the difference is we look at a bunch of restaurants as disparate parts and we look at the NBA as one big thing and we love it and we don't want to lose it. But we treat these sports like they are essential businesses and they are not. We love them and and it's part of our job and it serves us. But the way that we want to make concessions and move the goalposts so that sports can keep happening is not the same logic we are applying to anything else in life. Uh, Well, and that's the hardest part about it. Like you mentioned a concert and, you know, there are varying numbers on it, but about $26 billion is generated from live touring. That's all money that's just gone. I mean, and, and we just accept it at this point. We accept the fact that, well, that's not a part of our current reality because it can't be. We seem to refuse to accept that for the NBA, I think partially because we saw some version of the NBA work. So it almost becomes lazy but easy to turn around and say, well, we saw it in the bubble. It, we worked. We, the Lakers won the championship. The NBA has it figured out. And then you move on. This What we've seen so far in this season is a great indication that nothing's worked out. Now, uh, the new protocols that have been released, I mean, if you are a, a visiting team, you're not allowed to leave your hotel unless it's for an emergency uh, for, or for a team meeting, but team meetings can't last more than 10 minutes. They have all of these strange constraints for everybody that's coming into the city that's trying to play this game without acknowledging that what you're still going to end up with is an arena with all of these guys right on top of each other trying to play basketball and not transmit it. I mean, just in general, if you weren't playing basketball, but suddenly if, if you're even slightly uncomfortable with where everything is now, imagine standing in a room face-to-face with somebody for a couple of hours, just mouth-breathing on top of them without even running around and playing a sport because that's what these athletes are doing uh, on top of the sweat and on top of the fact that they're actually playing basketball. 
It's Spain and Fitz Air Spain. Jason Fitz on ESPN Radio. Don't forget to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast. I think you're completely right. And again, part of that is there isn't a national music association, right? There's all nope. sorts of unions and groups, but there isn't one group that's just saying, screw everything. We'll, we'll, here's all this money we'll lose. So we're going to go ahead and do this anyway. Um, it just it just doesn't work like that. And in sports, it has thus far. And the NBA earned a ton of benefit of the doubt because Adam Silver is a great and beloved commissioner because of the way they approached the bubble, because of the safety measures, because of how they offered up to everyone else the formula for how to make it work. But unfortunately, the cost of the bubble and the demands of the players and their mental health in terms of being away from families and everything else was too much for them to ask for the full length of a season. And I I don't want to say they're getting greedy because I know they're trying to make up for what was lost with the season that was already affected. But if there was a way to try to do a little bit more uh, uh, concessions in order to have a season, they might be better off than they are now, Fitz. And I think we all asked, how's this going to work without a bubble? Well, so far, we're getting the answer. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance, making it easy to bundle your home and car insurance. Coming up, we're going to put a quick bow on the college football season and get into the very strange story involving who else but World B Flat. It's next, ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz Podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM Channel 80, presented by Progressive Insurance. Got a ton of guests tonight that will join us on the Goodyear Hotline. Don't want to go anywhere. We're talking to Stephen A. Smith in just a few minutes. Sarah, last night, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, by the way, last night, Mike Golick Jr. and I, uh, we were part of one of the mega casts, the one on the Skycam on ESPNU, just kind of getting people in and out of breaks and uh, hanging out for the game. And I sat down and the game started out, uh, it started out close, at least. It, it, in the beginning, it looked like nobody would get a stop. And then suddenly, Alabama just erupted in a day that saw Ohio State playing for the national championship, minus 13 players. Uh, because of COVID reasons going into the game, including a couple of big defensive linemen. They seemed outmatched from the get-go. And Alabama was just bigger, faster, stronger, better all the way across the board. And I think what we saw last night was not as much a reflection of Ohio State as a reflection of how stinking good Alabama is. They outcoached them, they outplayed them, and it wasn't even a close game on their way to yet another national championship. Fitz, I want your opinion on the four questions we were asking around the horn. We're going to make it quick. Number one, would the injuries to Fields or anyone else on Ohio State, if they weren't injured, make a difference in the outcome of that game? Uh, it would have made the point spread a little closer, but I still think that Alabama wins by two touchdowns, even if they're all healthy and all there. If you are one of the top two teams in the draft, do you consider taking Smith instead of a quarterback? Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> No. I'm a little bit like, I think Devontae's incredible, but I, teams are going to shy away. He's 175 pounds. I mean, he is little So uh, for what we're used to in wide receivers right now. So as great as he was last night, uh, there's going to be a lot of scrutiny to whether or not he can handle the pounding that will come. I think he can, uh, but also Jamar Chase out of LSU that opted out this year may end up being the top receiver off the board. So, no, I still think, you, I don't think that he jumps that high in the draft. Well, and as the representative from the city that has been called by former wideouts the place wide receivers go to die, I can tell you that you could be a tremendous wide receiver, and if you don't have a quarterback to throw you the ball and make you effective, you're not going to do much. So if you need that quarterback position, you have to get that first before you move up and take a wide receiver, in my opinion, on that one. Waddle saw lots of professional athletes talking about how he shouldn't have been out there. What did you make of that? Yeah, he shouldn't have been. And, you know, we were we were stunned. And then not only after the first catch, he comes up limp and nobody hit him. 
and then he was still out there later in the game. And I appreciate the toughness and the love of the game for guys. But, man, when you're Waddle, you're also playing for Sunday money. So I was stunned to see that he was out there and uh, really stunned that they were still using him late in a blowout game. I, it made no sense to me, and he put himself at unnecessary risk. And Mike told a great story about his brother having pins in his arm and how even with those pins are there, it still sort of shreds the bone around the pin when you take too much action to it. So I hope he didn't do further damage, and I don't think it was worth it. Well, and as we know, once you have a weakness in a joint or a muscle or somewhere, then other things can try to overcompensate, and that's how you get injuries elsewhere. That's how you create imbalances, and the kinetic chain can pay for it years later. So I I think anyone telling him you're not going to hurt that ankle anymore, uh, that doesn't mean you might not cause damage to something else. So, man, if you were Tony Reale, I would have won that show because we agreed on everything. Look at that. See, I think Tony's just, you know what? Again, I'm going to have to take him. That's just what it comes down yeah. to, Tony. As he said, he was this, power but... with drunk. He was power <sighs> with drunk. <laughs> <laughs> Spaden Fitz on ESPN Radio. Again, congratulations to Alabama, Nick Saban, and what they built there. I'm not going to hate on dynasties. That's one of my 2021 resolutions is not to hate on greatness. So congratulations to them for getting it done. I'm not going to be bored with it. In the meantime, let's get to some straight talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. And that comes in the form of... Of the NBA news, everybody's got their eye on. We've all seen it at this point. If you haven't, there is a video circulating that appears to be Kyrie Irving celebrating what looks to be the 30th birthday of his sister in a club. It is not socially distanced. He is not wearing a mask. Remember, he is away from the Brooklyn Nets right now for personal reasons. According to sources in ESPN, he will not be expected to play Wednesday or Saturday at this point. They don't believe for the Nets, so he's still away from the team for these personal reasons. But, Sarah, in the meantime, video circulates of him dancing around, and uh, there's an optics issue when you're dancing around without a mask on in the middle of a COVID issue. Yeah, Worldwide Wob, a.k.a. Rob Perez, going to join us later in the show to break down his Wobvestigation, where he gives you all the reasons (laughs) that we know that this happened this week, that it was the 30th birthday, that there were plenty of people there that were no masks, that it was inside. I have so much trouble with Kyrie. He does some great things. He supports the right causes. He speaks out on social issues. He's a tremendous basketball player when he applies himself. And I worry when somebody self-sabotages in the way that he has over the course of the last couple of years, whether that's with the flat earth stuff to the we don't need a coach to this, if there's something deeper to it. Uh, it used to be back in the day, you just called those people jerks. You just ripped on them. And now you have to dive a little deeper and ask what's going on behind the scenes. And so I want to be careful with the words that I use. That being said, I cannot imagine the frustration of Steve Nash in his first year as coach. I cannot imagine the frustration of Kevin Durant, who has waited so long to get back on the court, who left a great situation with Golden State, a supportive teammate who took a back seat to him in Steph Curry to align himself with Kyrie and who thus far in their tenure with the Nets has spent most of the time having to deflect questions about the things they say on podcasts or the things that Kyrie posts on the internet instead of how good the basketball is. I can't imagine the frustration of the fans. I can't imagine the frustration of the league. I can't imagine the frustration of the the ownership. Everybody in his orbit is having to pay for whatever is going on. And I gave him the benefit of the doubt when I thought it might be about the capital and and that he might be going through something that was so taxing on his soul that he couldn't even communicate with his coach that he was going to be out. But now I see you dancing and partying during a pandemic, putting others at risk, putting yourself at risk and still not communicating with your teammates and your coach about it. And it is so hard for me to give him any benefit of the doubt. And it is so hard for me to not think that he is just a guy who is wasting his talent. 
The question is now what? Because the NBA is reviewing the video. There is the possibility that they'll hold him accountable. And to that end, Jay Williams, co-host of KJ&Z, was on Barton Hahn on ESPN Radio earlier and talked about holding Kyrie accountable. I mean, I, you have to hold him accountable. I mean, nobody can speak for Kyrie Irving but Kyrie Irving. And I think when you go through something like this, I, I would love to know if there is a principle in which Kyrie Irving is deciding to stand and you know, stay out for, because if it is, let's bring attention towards it. I think by not saying anything, it becomes – it's going to sound crazy, man. If the unselfish thing is to say, hey, this is why I'm not playing because I want to bring attention towards this, then you do that. You say what you're bringing attention towards. But it almost seems like it's the reverse. It seems like because he's not coming out and saying, this is why I'm not playing, all the attention then goes on Kyrie, which is not what Kyrie wants in the first place. So i got to be honest with you, man. I, I got no idea what the hell is going on. Like, I, I am flabbergasted. And I find myself constantly in this world where I'm trying to find reason with it, right? Find understanding to why Kyrie does what he does. And I can't on this one, man. I can't. It's interesting to hear the passion in Jay Will's voice mm-hmm. as he carefully selects his words there to make sure that he's saying he's what torn. he feels in that moment. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, and, and I think that's rightfully so, but he's right. I mean, at some point, if you don't speak to us about what's going on and why you're passionate about whatever you're passionate about, you leave us to speculate. And, and not just us, but everybody involved in this process to speculate. And until we hear from anybody, all the attention will be on Kyrie and not whatever is actually going on for him. Yeah, and, and again, the problem is is that he, when he makes his statements, tends to blame others for things being misconstrued, misinterpreted, people speaking for him. Well, guess what? People don't speak for you when you communicate. And right now, you are not communicating. And I gave him a day or two where I said, listen, if you just want to send a text to your coach and your teammates and say, I'm not going to make it, you don't have to say why. You just say, I, I can't come today. That's that's enough for me to say you're a multi-million dollar professional, that's enough allowance for me to say you don't even have to say why. But for this and to leave it up to everyone else to explain and to make it about you then because they're not talking about anything else, man, that's hard to spin into anything other than total selfishness and unprofessionalism. That's some straight talk, straight talk, wireless, no contracts, no compromise. If you're going to be invisible during these moments, you got to truly be invisible. Now the video's out, so what's next? To that end, we'll bring in Stephen A. Smith. We'll get his thoughts next on the Kyrie conversation. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, and as always, hanging out with you on the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM, Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, that music is familiar to so many of you because we are joined now on the Goodyear Hotline by Stephen A. Smith. I spent this time last year, I was sitting on radio every day reacting to Stephen A. Smith. Now we get to hang out with him to get ready for not only First Take, you see him there all the time, but Stephen A.'s World is launched on ESPN Plus with a massive guest list. What's cooler, Stephen A., hanging out with Sarah and I or Snoop Dogg? Because today you had Snoop on. I feel like, or yesterday you had Snoop on. I feel like maybe this was this is the highlight of your week, though, right? Well, well, only because Snoop is my brother. I mean, uh, he and I go back a long ways. We've known each other for years. So uh, I got love for you in Spain, too, though. How y'all doing? <laughs> we're good, my friend. So tell everyone, we're, we're going to get your thoughts on a bunch of topics going across the board. Sure. But I want to start with Stephen A's world, because uh, let's be real, man. You're on platforms everywhere. People can watch you on first take. They can listen to you everywhere. So what makes Stephen A's world on ESPN Plus different? Well, I'm hosting my own show. 
Uh, I know I host Sports Center with Stephen A. That's strictly an NBA show. This this show, Stephen A.'s world, is me hosting my own show, and it's the world according to Stephen A. Now, obviously, I'm inundated with sports, so primarily, especially since I'm working for ESPN, it'll be a sports show. Uh, but I'll bring a bit of levity to the situation, try to be a bit more lighthearted, uh, the kind of guests that I'd have celebrating them more than myself and talking about things, having some fun segments to love Dr. Baby Stephen A., mm-hmm. along with a host of a bunch of other things as well. But really, it's near and dear to my heart because, you know, I'm not only hosting the show, I'm the executive producer of the show. Uh, and I also, my production company is co-producing it in concert with ESPN because I wanted to get my feet wet on the production side of things in that production world for many, many years. And I'm finally doing that after starting my own production company just a few months ago. So, so I'm really excited about the opportunity. It's an incredible challenge. Uh, obviously, direct-to-consumer streaming is the new age. And obviously, that's really, really gaining traction in our business, uh, more so than a lot of other things. Uh, Disney Plus in the first year had like 86 and a half million new subscribers. Uh, ESPN Plus had just 11 and a half. So they're looking for me to help buffer those numbers to some degree. And, and, you know, that's part of my responsibility. And I hope that I can pull it off. Stephen A., congrats on the production side of that. That's very cool. I'm curious, you mentioned baby Stephen A. Everyone's really pumped that that's going to be a part of the show. You have a good sense of humor, (laughs) but you also just occasionally, you know, takes a second how many baby Stephen A. clips did you need to watch before you were on board with that instead of annoyed? You know what? It was never me, Sarah. What happened was is that the social media folks at ESPN, led by this guy, Brendan Kaminsky, uh, along with others, just put out, they asked me, could they like attach a baby face to a baby <laughs> face meme to me? And and they did it like a year ago or whatever. And I was like, you know, I don't care because a lot of times, you know, again, I might tweet here or there. But for the most part, what I do is I take content that I put on SportsCenter or First Take or anywhere else. And I just post it on my page. Well, in this particular instance, they asked me to do that. I said, fine. And millions of people watched. I mm-hmm. mean, it was just nonstop. And people loved it and they used it as memes and all of this other stuff. So it really, really gained traction and really became popular and just took on a life of its own. And that's, that's really, really how it happened. So I give ESPN and its social media and digital division all the credit in the world because they were the ones that did it. They were the ones that created it. They actually, of course, they asked my permission before doing it, but I said, fine, no problem for me. But I never expected it to gain the kind of traction that it did where you put the baby face on and you <laughs> alter, my, alter my voice to make it sound like, you know, babyish and what have you. And, you know, I, I, it's, it's hilarious to me. I saw it. I was cracking up laughing. We're talking to Stephen A. Smith. Obviously, you see him every day on First Take. We've got to check out Stephen A.'s World, available now on ESPN+. Plus. So, Stephen A., get your thoughts on some of the sports topics going around right now. We've been talking about Kyrie and the video that everybody's seen at this point. It's gone viral. So, what do the Nets do with this situation? I say you find him every day. Um, I say that you make sure you test him and you inconvenience him to some degree to let him know that, you know what, we're not going to just sit idly by and watch you do the kind of things that could eventually, that could ultimately endanger our franchise. We simply cannot sit idly by and tolerate you doing that. Uh, When you're around a bunch of people, you don't know where they've been or whatever the case may be. Then you end up coming around your team. Who knows whether you test positive or not. And if you had forced, you would have forced somebody else to contract the positive test. Not to mention the fact that you've already missed four games after only playing in 20 games last year in the midst of a 
contract that's paying you over $33.4 million. And then when confronted and asked about it, you just simply say, I'm taking personal reasons. I didn't feel like playing. So there's a, there's a, a laissez-faire and indifferent or apathetic attitude that's come associated with just some of the other things that he's been doing. It's very, very disappointing because he's a terrific player. He's box office. He's a sensational talent. We all know what he brings to the table in that regard. Unfortunately, you also know the other side. You know that it didn't work out quite that well when he went to Boston. You know that um, since he's been in Brooklyn, even though he's had some sensational moments, he's he's played a minimal amount of games, and he said some things and, and has given indications that he's going to be a problem from time to time. We know what he said about the media in terms of us being peons. We know what his attitude is right now, particularly since the social justice issues that have come along. And it's incredibly conflicting because on one hand, he sounds like a royal pain and you know what. On the other hand, he's very charitable and philanthropic with with his time, with his, his money, his efforts, etc. His heart definitely is in the right place. But in the end, even though all of those things are incredibly important, be very, very clear about one thing. You know what, folks? The number one thing folks want to see from him is basketball. If they don't see him on the court, they don't give a damn what he has to say. Mm -hmm. They don't give a damn what he wants to talk about. They want to see him on the court first. And if you don't get that from him, you're going to view him as a privileged malcontent uh, who does not have any appreciation whatsoever for the, for, for the lofty position that he is in. That's how people are going to look at him, whether fair or unfair. And he's going to have to grasp that. And more importantly, he's going to have to show that he cares. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz on ESPN Radio, talking to Stephen A. Smith. You could see him on First Take. You could see him on Stephen A.'s World now on ESPN Plus and all over the network. Stephen A., how do you explain, if I, if I offered up to you, that in the midst of this pandemic, we've seen all these different industries be absolutely crushed by the inability to have fans, the inability to continue on as they normally would, whether that's restaurants or, or, or musical concerts. How do you explain continuing to force through the NBA right now, even as we see multiple people on each team getting ill with something that we don't know the long-term consequences of, potentially spreading that to their family members or friends or community? How do, how do, you, how do we explain that? Sarah, the same way I've always explained it. Um, obviously, you ought to be you got to be as sensitive as you possibly can, understanding that our very lives are at stake and that that's of paramount importance. But particularly, and I can only speak from my personal experiences and being from the black community and just dealing with things that that that, that I know to be true. You have to take into account the economics of a situation. It cannot be ignored. To some people, something close to death is not being able to pay their bills and provide for their family and take care of themselves. Now, we lived in a society where you could stay at home, stay away from everybody, never show up to work or what have you, and still had that check coming in to pay your bills, then that would be a different argument. That's not what we have here. Whether the checks are 600000 or $2,000, it's not going to be enough. It's particularly in a capitalistic society, you've got to generate revenue. And I think a lot of times when people are thinking about professional sports, they're spending an awful lot of time thinking about the athletes. And they're not spending nearly enough time thinking about the thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people who are employed by these professional sports leagues, by the collegiate sports leagues, etc. These people are not, I mean, this is, this is how they make their living. So if those things are not going on, those professional athletes that had guaranteed dollars, even though that would be compromised to some degree, considering the exorbitant amount of dollars they, have, they, they were scheduled to make, they've already made, chances are they'll survive just fine. 
what about the hundreds of thousands of people that just worked? It could be anybody working in the arenas, working for respective teams and stuff like that, that don't have it like that. People keep thinking about the games because they keep thinking about the athletes and they're saying it's not worth it, it's not worth it. But those leagues employ thousands upon thousands of people. And any business that employs a whole bunch of people, you have to take that into consideration because a lot of people would be willing to take chances, unfortunately, because they're trying to feed their family. You don't go outside and choke around and be lackadaisical and don't be on point and don't care about how you could potentially be endangering somebody. You don't do something like that. But what you also don't do is ignore the economic realities of the situation because there's no way to get around that. And that's the society that we're living in, and that's what we have to accept. You already watch them every day on First Take. Now you can check out Stephen A's World on ESPN+. Plus. That's Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. He's there all the time with great guests joining him. Stephen A., congrats on the launch of the show, my friend, and thanks for joining us. We appreciate Thank you. you. Thanks, I appreciate Stephen both of y'all. Thank you so much. We're brought to you by Goodyear, helping you discover the road ahead. Goodyear, more driven. Coming up, we'll look ahead to the NHL. How are they holding COVID? Their season's about to start. We'll get you updated on everything you need to know. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Back to Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz with you on a Tuesday on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Don't forget to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can get the digital-only after-party, pre-party, all sorts of good content that we bring you sometimes that you can only get on the podcast. So make sure to subscribe. While we're busy doing pre-parties and after-parties and talking about Kyrie and the NBA and the NFL, we are sleeping on the NHL. And I will fully admit, Fitz and I are hockey fans, and yet we are way behind on keeping up with how this upcoming season is going to look. But thankfully... ESPN senior NHL writer Greg Wyshynski joins us now to give us an update. Greg, thanks for the time. Oh, it's my pleasure. And if you are someone that needs to play catch-up, I do have the Lapsed Fans Guide to the NHL season on on ESPN.com right now. You can check it out. Perfect. uh, To give you everything that's happened since the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning hoisted the cup inside of a bubble. Well, I just saw Emily uh, Kaplan's tweet today. 116 consecutive nights of hockey starts tomorrow, which means uh, we better catch up. So uh, what's what's the (laughs) most important thing that uh, hockey fans need to know as the season gets going tomorrow? Yeah, here's the skinny. It's a 56-game season. The NHL designed it uh, to try to be as uh, COVID-proof as possible, such as that is, as we see with every other league right now. Um, They realigned the league into four completely new divisions uh, based on trying to group together teams geographically, cut down on the travel, and then also because, I don't know if you've noticed, but the Canadian border is closed. So they put all seven Canadian franchises in the same division this season, it's the North Division. We're calling it the We the North Division, obviously. <laughs> and uh, and all of Canada is super excited about it, and all of the United States is kind of like, all right, well, you guys go have your fun. We'll focus on our teams for a little bit. Um, and so what they're doing this year is they, instead of doing a full conference league-wide schedule, it's an intra-division schedule. You're just going to play games within your division, and they're also adopting a sort of homestand aspect of the schedule, kind of like Major League Baseball or Minor League Hockey, where, for example, the Pittsburgh Penguins will go to Philadelphia, they'll play the Flyers twice in three days, then they'll go on to their next two-game series, their next two-game series. And all of this is done in service of creating a schedule where there's going to be enough room to make up games, because the NHL knows there's going to be postponements, and to try to cut down on travel and, most importantly, uh, along with health and safety, expense 
this season because the NHL knows it's going to lose over a billion dollars. Oh, that's a crippling number. We're talking to Greg Wyshynski, ESPN senior NHL writer. Greg, you just mentioned realignment. And so most teams get used to sort of scouting for their uh, their rivals. They also build their franchises at times to compete against certain teams within the division. So how does this realignment impact teams? It's a great question. I mean, we don't really kind of know what the dynamics going to be. I mean, you take the Canadian division, for example. You got a team like the Toronto Maple Leafs. They're <laughs> predicted by many to be the best team in that division. Well, Every single team in that division wants to take a chip off the, the Toronto Maple Leafs. They all hate the Leafs. Like, if you're the Winnipeg Jets, you're like, all I want in life is to beat Toronto because they're the team that gets the most attention and the most TV time and everything else. So there are no games against the Florida Panthers on a Tuesday night for Toronto. Every single game is going to be like a playoff game for them and for most of the teams in that division. The other dynamic that we're all having a lot of trouble wrapping our brains around is what is it going to be like for these teams to play inside of empty arenas? As it stands, only three teams right now in the NHL are going to start their season with fans in the building, Arizona, Dallas, and Florida. And even then, we're talking about a 20% capacity, maybe like 5,000 fans. So for teams that traditionally have a strong home ice advantage, teams like San Jose, Vegas, Montreal, for example, what does the dynamic mean now when you are going on the road to play in empty buildings and you're going to have empty buildings at home? The home ice advantage aspect of the NHL is something I think that's a little bit up in the air this season. It's Spain and Fitz. We're talking to Greg Wyshynski, ESPN senior NHL writer. Ahead of the NHL season starting tomorrow, and as you mentioned, he does have a lapsed fans guide to the 2021 NHL season with trades and signings and hirings and everything else that you might have missed focusing on other things ahead of the start of the season. Um, Are there teams that you think in this offseason have had the worst go of it and we should expect the biggest (laughs) Dramatic change from what we saw last year to now? Well, the Boston Bruins are one to watch. Um, the Bruins are a team that's a veteran team. Uh, they were a team that after they were eliminated from the postseason last summer, had that kind of melancholy, oh my goodness, as our window of opportunity closed vibe to their, to their roster. Um, and then this, this offseason, they lost Tory Krug, who is one of the better puck-moving offensive defensemen in this game, their power play quarterback. And in the most significant news, the, the Zdeno Chara uh, era ended in Boston. The six foot nine man mountain defenseman uh, was going to be limited to a. Thought it was. <laughs> I know, right? He's an institution, <laughs> so he he, he was going to be kept in a reserve role with Boston. Didn't like that. Uh, decided to go to free agency and actually signed uh, with the Washington Capitals, uh, a second Washington Monument, if you will, in the District of Columbia. Uh, so this is a different Boston team, different dynamic leadership wise, different dynamic defense wise. And I think a team that, you know, was a team that you could pencil in first place in their division most seasons. I wouldn't be surprised if you saw them get knocked down a few pegs in their new division behind teams like Washington, Pittsburgh and Philadelphia. All right, Greg, let's get to the most important question. Sarah's a Blackhawks fan. I'm a Predators fan. Which one of us is happier at the end of the year? Oh, not me. <laughs> well, as Sarah can tell you, it is definitely going to be Nashville. Things didn't go well Chicago last year Black- for Nashville comparatively to what <laughs> I, I expected. So, you know, I'm, I'm a little damaged, Greg. No, this is true. I mean, context is king. It's all about expectations. Uh, if you're somebody who goes through the season thinking the Blackhawks might be looking up at the Detroit Red Wings from the basement of their division, <laughs> and then they do better than that, you might be feeling pretty good about life. Bottom line is this. The Blackhawks are in sort of the end of the of the Republic uh, years, right? Like, they, they went on their dynasty. 
Patrick Patrick Kane is older. Jonathan Taves has some mysterious illness, and we don't yeah. even know when he's coming back to play. Scary. Uh, their goaltending is atrocious. Uh, it is, it's a bad scene in Chicago. But that said, I mean, it's better to bottom out in the NHL than to just be mediocre. So uh, the worse they can be, the better it's going to be for the future. Nashville is actually a team I have in my top four in the Central Division. I think they're a playoff team this year. Uh, a stacked group at forward, a very good couple of defensemen in front of what I hope is above average goaltending. I have them in and reigning Western Conference champion Dallas out of the playoff picture in the Central. Wow. Uh, yeah, it's it's going to be it's going to be fascinating to see how teams and players bounce back from that uh, sort of bubble season and how they react to how things felt. Because one of the most standout articles I read was you and Emily Kaplan um, asking players how they felt about that that season that they spent in the two hubs, and uh, the the uniform response was mostly not positive. Uh, do you think that the way they have things set up now will please the players a lot more? Yes, uh, mainly because they had such a voice in crafting what was going to happen this season. Um, they made it clear after last summer that that was a one-time only deal. They were not going to sequester themselves uh, in, in uh, hermetically sealed hotel bubbles for the entirety of the regular season, be away from friends, be away from family. And let's face it, the NHL itself wasn't really keen on having that happen either just because of the cost of the operation. So they're going to play inside their own home arenas under the schedule format I mentioned this earlier in the conversation. And as far as the testing goes, I mean, it's going to be daily testing. And unlike in the bubble, we're going to find out uh, the identities of these players that do test positive. That's one big uh, mm. change since the summer. Already, by the way, the training camps are done as of yesterday. 27 players in the NHL tested positive. Of those 27, 17 were members of the same team, the Dallas Stars, who had an outbreak before the season started. Yeah, Dallas actually is delaying the start of their season. They're postponing their first three games to buy themselves some time to well, uh, to get we're, healthy we're and, and get back on the see, ice. Yeah, we're probably going to see a fair amount of that. It feels like the bubbles are really the only true way. Hey, Greg, this article is fantastic, and we really appreciate you catching us up on this. Thanks for it. Appreciate it. Thanks, Greg. Anytime. Thanks for having me. ESPN senior NHL writer Greg Wyshynski. Go check out his story on .com. It'll catch you up. Uh, keeping up with the NFL stuff next. Ravens-Bills Saturday night. We'll talk about that and the interesting home life of a player. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Sarah, are you ready to have an incredible amount of fun? <laughs> Don't threaten me with a good time, Fitz. Well, you know, Especially not on like... a Tuesday night. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, all right. We're going to head over to the Goodyear Hotline and do something kind of awesome here, in my opinion. Uh, we're joined there by Bradley Bozeman, Ravens uh, Center, also his wife, Nikki Bozeman, uh, who played basketball for Alabama. We're going to get into a couple of different things here. Obviously, we'll ask Bradley about the Ravens and the playoffs. But let's start with last night because Alabama wins a national championship. But for anyone that doesn't remember, these two got engaged after the national championship game in 2018. So when you watch Bama win a national championship, what what's the bigger memory, Bradley? I'm going to ask you with your wife with you. Is it the fact that you were nervous about popping the question at the end of the game, or is it watching Bama win a championship and remembering that moment? So the only thing that was on my mind was, uh, was winning that game to start with because without winning the game, I couldn't get to the proposal. So, you know, you got to win first and then the proposal next. And uh, so luckily we got to be able to do both those that night. So, 
Was there any concern about the response that people might have to you muddying up the celebration with your romantic affairs? Uh, actually, it was kind of some of my guys on the team's idea. Um, you know, they, they mentioned it to me, and I uh, I was like, no, nah, I can't do that. And, like, why not? Like, it's your last year. Coach Saban can't say anything to you. And <laughs> I was like, no, nah, I can't do that. But in the back of my mind, I'm like, hey, I might actually do that. That sounds really good. Um, so, you know, it, it was it was all good. Everybody was really excited. Uh, all my teammates were, were pumped for me and glad she said yes. I was also glad she said yes. So um, <laughs> it, it was such a great moment to, to be able to put that spotlight on her. It was, was amazing. Um, and I, I'm just glad she said yes. So All right, Brad, uh, Nikki's with you. And so I got to ask her this because I'll never forget standing on the field when Alabama won the national championship. And I was standing next to Mike Golick Jr. And the confetti was falling down. And Mike said, every time he sees confetti, all it makes him think of is loser confetti because he lost a national championship. So now, Nikki, when you see confetti, do you immediately think of diamond rings and, and marriage? Uh, Yeah. I mean, I think, like, everything, every time confetti's going, knock on wood, it, we've uh, actually, no. I was going to say, have we always won? You won two. Um, and lost one, yeah. So I think it has more positive than negative for our family. Nikki, you guys spent the whole 2019 season living in an RV. Did you change your mind for 2020, or are you guys still in that RV? Yeah, so um, originally he came with uh, to me with the idea, and I was like, um, I'm probably thinking not. And... So then, but we went and like toured a few of them and they were definitely different than what I was picturing in my head. They were super nice. Um, so we lived in it for 11 months and then, so we were planned to live in it for three years. So to the end of this current contract he's in, um, because we were like, you know, why not? You can take your home on wheels anywhere. And then we kind of found a house that kind of just fell in our lap. It was kind of too good to be true. Um, and so we closed on it actually a year ago yesterday. So we were in a, the camp for 11 months and then bought a house. And now looking back, I'm like, no offense to him. But if I was in a camper for quarantine, I think I right? would have gone insane. So yes, it that was my biggest concern for you. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, yeah. It would I mean, have been you, interesting. But Nikki, you guys went across country uh, in the RV uh, to talk to kids about bullying. And, and by the way, guys, check out BozemanCharity.com. Uh, Bradley is nominated for the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award as the Ravens representative uh, for the spectacular work that you guys have done. Uh, I asked Bradley this, and you know, he gave me the stock answer. I'll ask you now, Nikki. What's the weirdest thing about being in an RV with your husband traveling across country? The weirdest thing? Um... I mean, obviously, you're just, like, not, like, you know, um, you don't have that much space. So, what, so <laughs> when we stopped in Amarillo and he ate, like, a, how big was that steak? It was a... Uh, 72 ounces, right? 72 ounces. Yeah. So, oh there's this, like, steak challenge. At, it's called oh the no. Big Texan. And there's the steak challenge. And you have to eat, like, a 72-ounce steak with a dinner roll and shrimp. And, like, there's so many things that go into that dinner. So it's this challenge, and of course, like, Bradley was challenged, so he can't, like, back down from a challenge, and so he did it, and he, like, finished the whole thing, and, like, he got his name on the wall and all this stuff, but you talk about some, like, um, not-so-fun things were the days to come after that. <laughs> the RV like, bathroom. Uh, there was no hiding. Yeah, Oof. in the camper with a 
small bathroom, um, but no, it was fun. But it still it made for an interesting next couple of days. <laughs> it's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're talking to Bradley Bozeman of the Ravens and his wife Nikki. Uh, you can check out the work that they do at bozemancharity.com. Nikki, uh, my co-host here, Jason Fitz. Thankfully, we are not married, uh, but he spent a lot of time on RVs and buses when he was uh, in in a band touring. And he says he used to use public bathrooms all the time wearing only socks. Is there anything that your husband does that's as gross as that? No. Um, <laughs> not going to lie, that's pretty gross. So um, gross. Look, I, I, I've, yeah. I've got a strong immune system, y'all. A I wet just, sock. Like, I can walk into any... Okay. A wet okay. sock after going to the bathroom and you don't know why it's wet Ooh. is so disgusting, Fitz. Yeah, I yeah, not, that might that might uh, take the cake there. Um, I'm not sure if I can think of anything that's that gross. No. Great. So I just found out that I'm more gross than an offense. Like I've worked yeah. with a lot of offensive yeah. linemen. I find it hard to believe. But you you eat way. like one too most of the time. Oh, that is a fair <laughs> point. Uh, all right, we're talking to Bradley Bozeman, Nikki Bozeman. Uh, again, check out bozemancharity.com. They've been doing incredible work, not just uh, anti-bullying work, but transitioning over to helping uh, with food uh, in in the state of Maryland. You guys have done really great work there. Bradley, obviously we've got to ask you about the big win. Uh, the Ravens pull off the win over the Titans. Uh, there was a lot of talk about Lamar in that game. So how does it feel to sort of get that conversation ended for your quarterback? Uh, it's great. You know, we've, you know, Lamar and I came in at the same time. Um, you know, a lot of those guys on the offense did. And, you know, this was our first playoff win. You know, it was huge. Um, you know, it showed you how hard it is to win in this league. And, you know, we, we went out there. We put together a very solid performance. Our defense played their butts off. Such teams did great, and the offense did enough to get the win. And, um, you know, it, it was it was just a great team win. And to move on to the next round, to finally get that, that win, I, I feel like it's a, it's a nice – it's a nice weight lifted off, but there's so much more to come, and uh, we're excited for the opportunities to come in the future. So, you know, hopefully we can continue to prepare and, and get ready and, uh, you know, see where the chips fall in the end. You've got uh, you've got a tough uh, task ahead of you with a 14-3 and Bills team that has a different kind of explosive player in Josh Allen than Lamar, but uh, an explosive player nonetheless. Uh how different do you think the game plan and and the plans this week will be from last week? Um, you know, I, I, I'm no, I can't speak from the defense side of the ball. Um, I know those guys are preparing and, and getting ready. We had our first practice today. Um, you know, from the offense side, we're going to go out and do what we do. You know, our um, you know what whatever Coach Roman decides that he wants to do and whatever the game plan is, uh, the offense is going to go out there and we're going to execute it and we're going to do our best to make sure those plays are successful. Um, so, you know, we got to go out. We know we got to score a bunch of points. Uh, they have an explosive offense. You know, they have a good defense, special teams all the way across the board. That's why they're uh, in this game. And, you know, we have to go and prepare and um, play like it's your last because you never know if it is or not. But uh, but we're, we're excited for the challenge and the opportunity. You guys, again, can check out BozemanCharity.com. Bradley, Nikki, uh, tell Ravens fans what they can do right now for Bozeman Charity to help you guys in your efforts. Yeah, so um, obviously, like you guys said, everything that you probably ever want and need to know um, would be on BozemanCharity.com. Um, and so basically, like you said, we had pivoted kind of into food insecurity. So we're currently running um, a food distribution hub in Baltimore City. Um, we serve about 22,000 meals every other week. So um, we're trying to expand that into um, more sites to give more residents of Baltimore access 
to healthy food. Um, that's been a big thing with COVID is finding, you know, healthy and sustainable meals um, moving forward. So um, just donations, word of mouth, um, really anything to amplify the cause would be so, so appreciated. If you guys are watching the Ravens this weekend and you're cheering on your favorite team, it's a good time to go to BozemanCharity.com. Guys, we appreciate you joining us so much. Thanks for hanging out with us. Bradley Bozeman, Nikki Bozeman, congrats on all the great work you guys have done this year. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having us. Thanks, right. guys. Is it, is it too little, too late for the Texans? Plus, my beloved Raiders did a dumb thing today. I'll react to it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Have nice things, Sarah. It's just the way it goes. I want to have nice things. I want 2021 to to provide for my beloved Raiders. And maybe they did, but oh, sometimes it's the little things in life. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Like I said, presented by Progressive Insurance. Drivers who save with Progressive save over $750 on average. Call or click today. Find out if they could save you hundreds on your car insurance. So I'm sitting around today, Sarah, and I'm just you know perusing uh, the Twitters, right? And I'm hanging out, and I'm looking to see what the news of the day is. And I find out that my beloved Raiders have made the most key hire that they will make in the offseason. They've hired a new defensive coordinator, Gus Bradley, who uh, most recently has been the defensive coordinator for the Chargers over the last few years. And uh, before that was obviously a head coach for a small stint. So I'm looking across this and I'm thinking, okay, you know, you never know with coordinators, but I want to get excited about it. Only to realize that when my beloved Raiders posted the picture welcoming Gus Bradley, they actually posted a picture of Ken Wisenhunt, the former (laughs) offensive coordinator of the Chargers. They put the wrong coach in the picture. How does it happen? Oh, because it's the Raiders. Uh, listen, I mean, I, I would like to say that overall uh, inability to, 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 to complete tasks and, and succeed is uh, institution-wide there. But I'm not going to say that because you guys are taking steps towards relevance. And this is probably one rogue person who grabbed the wrong photo. Oh, uh, but it's still funny. It's yeah. still funny. By the way, speaking of quickly, uh, the NFL, a couple pieces of news. Um, Brian Schottenheimer let go by the Seahawks and Chuck Pagano retiring for the Bears. Uh, oh, and, how do you feel about that? Um, I think Chuck Pagano was better in name than in practice. And while the Bears defense was a little bit better than last year, they were still significantly worse than 2018. And I do not think that Chuck Pagano made them a better defense. I think the aggressiveness of Fangio is what fit this personnel. And so while they were still significantly better than the offense, for the amount of money and the amount of talent, they underperformed. And I don't think that he was the right guy for the job. So I'm okay with that. My concern is that the Bears use this retirement as a way to point to change while maintaining Nagy and Pace and Mitch. And that sounds like the case. All the Bears reporters are um, signaling that the word is likely that Pace and Nagy will stick around. Uh, no word yet on Mitch. But uh, throwing the, the defense and, and, and Pagano under the bus as the sole issue is absurd, and no one would even buy that. Uh, the defense was certainly not the biggest problem. Um, but being able to point to that and act like change has occurred is not going to appease any Bears fans. I just feel like, you know, Ryan Pace is over there going, ah! After he makes it, it's like, everybody right. happy with that? Everybody we're good? good? And everyone's like, yeah. no, we're not good. We you wouldn't know, show it, up, but we're also not allowed to. So he'll never know that we wouldn't be showing up. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, and that's one of the weirdest things for all of this. I mean, it's easy to get fired up of, about coordinators in general. And, and realistically, uh, we, it's just one of those things that when you see a name that you recognize, you think that that coordinator is going to be good. I mean, yeah. especially a coordinator that got a head coach job because the reason they got a job as a head coach was because they were in per, at least perception. They were so great at, at their coordinating that that got them there. So when they step back to being a coordinator, we just presume it's going to work out. Mm. It doesn't always. And so, the reverse. Uh, I mean, look at Fangio. The jury's still out about him as a, as a head coach, and he was fantastic as the Bears' defensive coordinator. Yeah, and and so it, it's there's no one formula that works for it. So it's interesting. The Bears get rid of uh, a former head coach that was their defensive coordinator. The Raiders hire a former head coach that uh, is now their defensive coordinator. In the meantime, that's not the only news. It's another day that ends in Y, which means we have to have more drama and conversation around the Texans. Now, I'm not even saying that as a negative to anybody but the Texans organization because whatever drama is there has been created. But realistically, the Texans are finally giving an interview to Eric Bieniemy, uh, the offensive coordinator for the Chiefs, who's been interviewing with everybody at this point. Sarah. So it feels like this, it's a little too late uh, through all of this as they're trying to now appease Deshaun Watson somehow by giving what feels almost like a token interview to, to be enemy. Yeah, it absolutely does, especially the more we hear from the more people that this is about deep cultural problems with ownership and this team, that it is not just we promised you that you would be in the conversations about GM and then not asking. This is not just we promised you we would look into a coaching hire that you want interviewed and then we won't. This is about deeper concerns that Watson has with the team. And you saw former Texans wide receiver Andre Johnson tweet out, if I'm Deshaun Watson, I will stand my ground. The Texans organization is known for wasting players' careers. Since Jack Easterby has walked into the building, nothing good has happened in or for the organization. And for some reason, someone can't seem to see what's going on. Pathetic. That's big words from Andre Johnson. And we don't hear a lot from Deshaun. So when we do, it means something. And what he has said mirrors that. This is same old, same old. I'm unhappy. Like the, the, the idea that he would want out and that they might waste one of the most talented players in this league due to cultural issues, that is not an easy fix, Fitz. Right? That's, if that's ownership deep, then he's, he's, he's going to stick with this till he's out of there unless they truly convince him and change. And I don't think a last-minute permission to interview Bienemy, who probably won't take that job if there are deep cultural issues there, is going to fix it. Well, it was smartly pointed out by the NFL Live guys today that, you know, the enemy would be going into a situation where the one constant is the one thing that can't change easily, mm-hmm. and that's ownership and that culture. And, you know, at this point, Sarah, let's be real. Eric Bieniemy is so coveted as a coach that I feel like he should do what college kids do, where he sits at the table and announces his decision by putting on the cap. Like, every fan base will watch it. We'll all figure out where he's going to go coach next. He's that, uh, he's that sort of a person. But, you know, I keep thinking when you mentioned Deshaun Watson and the possibility, even just the possibility that he would demand his way out of Houston. You talk a lot as a Bears fan about how there's this cloud of Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes that hovers over you because your favorite team decided to draft Mitchell Trubisky instead. The only thing that could be worse than that, in my mind, would be the cloud of knowing that you had Deshaun Watson and then somehow your organization was so dysfunctional that he demanded his way out in the peak and the prime of his career only to go somewhere else and win Super Bowls because mm-hmm. he is capable of doing that. So if he wants walks if he forces a trade and I'm a Texans fan that's a gut punch that would actually challenge my fandom well and another gut punch I mean if he leaves that's huge but let's say the enemy goes somewhere and has incredible success as a head coach which for years people have pointed to him as the next best thing that someone needs to snap up uh that's another punch in the face right that you you, you could have kept your guy and had a great coach and you did neither because of 
what those deeply rooted issues are that many are pointing to. Speaking of, you had a, a, a funny thing to say before the show about the number of interviews that the enemy is going to end up on. Yeah, no, he should he should walk out and just like hold a press conference and ESPN could cover it and he could have all the hats in front of him and he could have his family <laughs> there and then put the one hat on that uh, tells everybody where he's going to go, which will get every because every fan base, not just organizations, fan bases believe that if they get Eric Bieniemy, suddenly their offense is going to look like the Chiefs now. Uh, that forgives that they have Mahomes and several other incredibly talented weapons. But that level of just angst and anxiety, can you imagine Jets fans looking there and seeing that Biennemi instead chose, for example, Jacksonville? Like, I- I'm all in for coaches making their public decision this way when they're coveted. Like, Urban Meyer could do the same thing at this point. Interview three, four places if he wants to. Hold a press conference. Wear a hat. I mean, if you're going to go that far, you might as well do one of those elaborate uh, overproduced videos jumping out of a plane and putting on the hat midway down before you pull the uh, the old ejector cord. Uh, I'm not saying no to that, too. I mean, I think you're only making the idea even better. Uh, all <laughs> eyes will be on what, what they're going to do, obviously, in Houston. Uh, I will also say to Sarah's point, if the enemy goes somewhere and is successful, that's not only a punch in the face to Texans fans, but if Deshaun Watson feels like this wasn't handled properly, it's only going to continue to eat at him for years to come. Coming up next, uh, we'll get you details on the investigation into the leaked Kyrie Irving videos. That's next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, and as always, on the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Looks like an NBN investigation is going to see if Kyrie was found in the club celebrating a birthday. Video of him. Looks like he's out celebrating his sister's birthday violating COVID protocols, absent from his team, has missed several games, would miss even more if it turns out uh, that they can confirm all of that. And uh, all the details around that event and him not being in Toronto partying with Drake was broken down in an investigation, a WAP-vestigation, I think. Uh, I, I am not sure if I'm getting that right. Uh, by Rob Perez, a.k.a. Worldwide WAB. So before we get to the official statement from the Nets or anything else involving this investigation, what made you want to WAB-vestigate this particular incident? Well, let me tell you, Sarah, there's a lot of things that I want to WAB-vestigate. But, <laughs> you know, this one in particular is, is late at night. Uh, you know, I'm at home like everybody else. And I was just kind of scrolling the internet. This video is going like crazy viral on the internet last night. And there's really no other way to put it that, you know, Kyrie is out at a party. Uh, We know what's going on in the world today, but the circumstances surrounding his departure from the Brooklyn Nets. I was just kind of curious as to, you know, what this video was. So I watched it like everyone else. But I was told originally, you know, the story has evolved very quickly. I was told originally that he was partying with Drake in Toronto. And as I'm watching this, I'm like, I don't know if he's partying with Drake in Toronto. And I kind of just, as I watched it more and more, well, you know what? I don't think now he's partying in Toronto with Drake because that would be a really big deal. And before you know it, it's like 3 a.m. and I'm deep into the weeds here. And then I just (laughs) ended up creating a video trying to uh, shed some light on just the facts of what happened. You know, I'm not even trying to pass judgment necessarily on what Kyrie did, but I at least wanted to get the narrative straight. We're talking to Rob Perez. Now, before I get to my question, like, do I have to call you Rob or can I call you Wob? Because I just feel like as much <laughs> as I follow you on Twitter, I'm supposed to call you Wob. Like, give me clarity. Well, my mom calls me Robbie. Uh, a lot of people call me Perfect. Wob from the Internet. 
And uh, you're free to call me whatever whatever you so please. So and Pitbull uh, pretty... calls him Mister Worldwide. So you know it's a, it's a mutual <laughs> respect thing. <laughs> All right, I just had to get that. Out. All right, then I'm going wop. That's because it just feels natural. All right, the most impressive part of the video to me was your ability to align pictures. Like you found the pictures from the video and matched them to the the establishment he was at. Uh, what was that rabbit hole like? How long did it take you to do that? Well, I started around 3 a.m. and I finished around 5. So the actual <laughs> process of gathering the information uh, probably took about two hours and then another 30 minutes to do the voiceover and put it all together and cut it up. So I, I had to turn around and publish probably within three hours or so. Um, but I, I did wait. You're probably listening to this wondering, like, why you're up so late thinking about doing this. Well, I didn't want to take a video that wasn't already viral and being talked about and then be the first to say, like, hey, I've, I got this secret cell phone footage from somebody that I want to break some news with. Um, because that, I, that, that probably wouldn't sit right with me. But since the entire world and every blog in America already had an article up about it, I'm like, all right, if you guys are going to be talking about it, then I'm going to join the conversation as well. Uh, but the process, yeah, it took about three, three hours or so. Rob Perez, a.k.a. Worldwide Wob, with us. He's a host and producer of FanDuel. You can also see him on Late Night with Wob on Twitter and Periscope after NBA games. Uh, I mean, this this sounds like you had a sort of crisis of conscience. On the one hand, you want to investigate and prove where he was and when and that the whole Drake Toronto thing was a red herring. On the other hand, you don't seem to want to pass any judgment on Kyrie. And I'm curious about that because he's a very polarizing figure. And I think a lot of us are treading lightly around, is there mental health at play here? Is this a reaction to what happened at the Capitol, which would be very understandable if that's the personal issue keeping him away. But then you see him at a party, maskless, indoors with tons of people, violating coronavirus and celebrating instead of mourning or whatever we expected him to be doing. And it's hard not to have some sort of uh, judgment or have some sort of opinion on it, right? Yeah, I'm very sensitive to uh, Kyrie Irving, not only as a person, a name, a brand, all the above. I understand what he's going through on and off the court. So in the video that I created, I went out of my way to make sure that there was no judgment whatsoever because people are going to have different opinions on if he should be allowed to be celebrating with his family, considering his state, because he left the Nets for personal reasons. Uh, like, what's the big deal? While some other people may think that this is a pandemic, you can't be in a club with 100 people, whether you know him or not, without masks on, you're never going to win that argument. So by putting this video out there, I was just very adamant on making sure this, I just want to put facts here and let people judge for themselves, and uh, both of you guys listening to me talk right now, what's the one word you think that everyone is screaming at me throughout the day? It starts with an S. <laughs> <laughs> right? It, 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 it rhymes with snitch. It would be snitch. Yeah, yeah, because, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you get called a snitch, but I'm like, wait a minute. Like, I guess the people that are calling me snitches, you know, are calling me a snitch, uh, are this is the first time that they're seeing it. They, they may think that I'm breaking the, the news in terms of this video being out there. Um, that is something that I knew was going to happen, but I decided to proceed with anyway. Um, but regarding Kyrie Irving, yeah, like you said, he is a very polarizing character in a lot of fans of the NBA. Some Boston Celtics fans don't like him very much. Some Cleveland Cavaliers fans don't like him very much. But at the other side of the spectrum, he's got a huge, huge diehard fan base that feels like he is misjudged the same way that somebody like a Dennis Rodman in the past maybe 
was misjudged. So I just want to be super careful about the situation because it could be very true that he is going through something serious and he was using this as therapy or relief to go through that. I totally get that. And I wanted to make sure that was clear in this publication. So now that the video is out, Rob, what's Kyrie's next move? What should he do at this point? At some point, he's going to have to talk to the press, isn't he? Like, he's getting paid to play professional basketball, and if he plans on coming back and doing that at some point, you figure he's going to have to go in front of the media. But how long was it ago that he refused to do his um, media day press conference? He, he was calling them some people in the media pawns. I'm taking that out of context a little bit, but, you know, this is not the first go-around with Kyrie regarding – uh, not expressing his feelings publicly. Let's put it that way. So I, I think at some point he's just going to need to address this and put it in the past and move on. And if he wants to continue to play basketball, it's certainly okay if he doesn't want to play anymore. And there's, I'm sure, a business decision around that. But if he does decide to come back and play professional basketball in the NBA, he's going to have to address the media at some point and just put this thing to rest. Rob Perez, a.k.a. Worldwide Wob, with us here on Spain and Fitz on the Goodyear Hotline. As we're watching all these games get postponed, as we're hearing about these much stricter new protocols, is it realistic to expect this NBA season to carry on? And should it, knowing the risks of these players? Or should there be potentially a pause put on the season with a goal to resume, perhaps in a bubble situation or something safer? Yeah, I mean, that's a loaded question. Um, and, you know, the, the Spark Notes version of an answer to that is. <laughs> It sounds like at least with what the NBA at the Board of Governors meeting today is the not the fallout, but the result of that meeting sure makes it sound like that they're taking that bubble concept and applying it to these teams in home and away cities. There are new restrictions. There are new uh, policies in place that if you're home, you can't have certain people around you that aren't tested twice a day. If you're on the road, we can't have anyone that isn't like very specifically on a list or something that can come into the hotel if they're not family or any of the above, then we get into that conversation of that person you met on Instagram last week, are they considered family right. or not? You know, so I think the NBA is kind of turning up the, the heat a little bit in terms of uh, allowing these things to happen because as more and more players come down with COVID, this is a big issue. I mean, this is a very important issue. There's health at stake. And the absolute last thing you want to see is an NBA player collapse on the court like we saw at the collegiate level because that would be a break like break the league moment. And I don't think anyone, no matter what your beliefs are, is wants to see that. So I, I do trust the NBA to enforce the, these policies and consult health officials that are necessary to keep this season going. Aside from the health issues, Rob, if everything comes back to normal and we're all fine, what's the future for the Nets and Kyrie, given the way all of this has played out? Every day is, an, is a new journey. I mean, mm-hmm. I, Anyone that analyzes league or watches it, you know, pretty consistently was thinking before the season started, there's going to be some really high highs with the Nets, and then there's going to be some really low lows. And the high highs was like Christmas Day when they come out there and they blow the doors off of a team like the the Golden State Warriors or whoever they played on the opening night. You know, they're beating them by 40. They go into Boston. They win that game by massive blowout double digits. And you're like, oh, my God, this team can really – really play they might be championship contenders and then you get 10 games into the season they rank dead last in giving up second chance points to their opponents they're all the way at the bottom in terms of a lot of defensive rating efficiency categories and they're five and six and their second best star player Kyrie Irving their leader uh is not with the team and he's not playing games 
So I, I think I want to believe that they can turn this around. Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving have that relationship that they can figure this out and they'll show up when they need to the most. But man, getting to that point is going to be a journey. 100%. In the meantime, we have Vestigations. now that I've nailed how to say it, I'm going to keep repeating it, uh, to keep us up to date on the latest. Uh, and of course, we all are hoping that everything is okay with Kyrie, because um, a lot of question marks with the kind of behavior that he's displaying. Self-sabotage uh, can be chalked up to being a jerk, but usually there's a lot more to it. Thanks so much for the time, Rob. Appreciate it. Thanks, Wob. Amen to that, sir. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Wob. I'm going to call it a Wob. Worldwide Wob? Maybe, but I can't go with straight Wob. Uh, Wob, brought to you by My Computer Career, training for a better life. Coming up, uh, we're going to keep talking about the NBA. I have a couple more things to say about Kyrie and also how COVID is starting to impact the NBA in ways that might be untenable going forward. It's Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Back to Spain and Fitz on a Tuesday night. Fitz, you know, the nice thing is when I start a show in a terrible mood and then I hang out with you for a couple hours and I feel better. It's nice. Look at that. I mean, I, mean, I still don't just... feel good. The world is terrible, and I need a full bottle of wine in my couch. But I feel better than when we started the show, so thank you for that. There are limits to my superpowers. Like, I try to just get people back to mediocre. That's what yeah, I'm shooting yeah. for. If I can get everybody back to managing, Perfect. then I feel like we've done our jobs. Better. Then we're just like our football teams. This is an even 8-8. Eight eight. <laughs> just... Uh, oh, one of those the, went to the playoffs. The radio. But we, yeah, that's our tagline on our stamp. Yeah. Yeah. Let's get it with our new logos and our merch. Oh, I'm so sorry. We don't get those. Uh, we are yeah. outside of the hours that get new fancy logos and merchandise. Uh, maybe we'll start making them on our own. Spain and Fitz, the eight and eight of ESPN radio. Uh, we were just <laughs> talking to Worldwide Wob, who did his Wobvestigation, which is now a word that, since I know how to say it correctly, I will repeat over and over. Wobvestigation. Into Kyrie Irving in that video. And uh, Fitz, as we talked about, like there's aspects of this that you do want to tread carefully and you do want to try to understand when someone is self-sabotaging, why that behavior might be occurring. And it's not often as simple as this person is selfish, this person is a jerk, this person doesn't prioritize basketball. We know for a fact that Kyrie is devoted to the game, and it means a lot to him. And so to be absent from his team for multiple games and then to exhibit behavior like going to a club indoors with many people, maskless, in the middle of a pandemic, risking further quarantine and absence, uh, is inexplicable. And I think one issue is to try to correlate the initial Kyrie outbursts um, that we've seen in the past about a variety of topics with this, um, they don't necessarily fit because in the past, I don't think it prevented him from playing. Um, it did when he wanted to make social issues the focus um, and, and didn't want to go into the bubble and play because of that. But now he, he's got this team in front of him that by all accounts, he put together and wanted to be a part of, and this great teammate in KD that he was showering with praise for trusting at the end of a game that he could take the shot, and it could be either one of us, and this team is going to be great. We've seen them play a couple times together, and it's been really impressive basketball that we want to see more of. So I don't know why you would be taking yourself out of that unless what happened at the Capitol so deeply scarred him that he's having trouble prioritizing basketball, unless something happened in the early days with this Nets team or Steve Nash or otherwise that has him, you know, not wanting to be a part of it. But I'm asking all these questions because we're not getting any answers. And once again, Kyrie, a guy who has complained about being misunderstood and misinterpreted, is offering us no other option. 
But that's the hard part about it, sir. What you're doing is a very human and, and good thing to do in trying to at least see if there's some benefit of the doubt that can be given uh, to what's causing this. But at some point, when have you lost benefit of the doubt? In the case of Kyrie, he has a platform and he has a world that's waiting for him to speak. And if he came out and simply spoke to everybody and said, hey, going through some stuff, this is a really difficult time for me. I'm managing it as best I can. Even if that's all he said, sure, people might question it, but at least we'd understand more the mindset of what's leading us to where we are now. The problem is he's not speaking, and when he has spoken in the past, especially in the recent past, it's been confrontational to say politely when it comes to the way that he feels he's been covered. So now what I have to do is try and give benefit of the doubt to why he's acting the way he's acting when he's not speaking, and then he's saying the people that are speaking on his behalf are doing it the wrong way. So Kyrie... Speak, and we'll stop speaking for you. Mm -hmm. And if you have a reasonable explanation for why we should not care that you were indoors, maskless, at a party of many people in the middle of a season that you're already missing without having given a reason, then let us know, because I can't think of one. Right? I, I, I can't think of one. I even want to, like, to that end quickly, Sarah, I even want to look at it and say, hey, people grieve or people mourn or people recover mm -hmm. emotionally in different ways. So I want to, like, even if I'm trying to go that way with a really positive spin on it, it still doesn't change the fact that he's making decisions that violate the right. NBA protocol well, and, and he's doing it in a public way. And and, and speaking of that, who's, who's around him to help him? If you are so spiraling out that you're making decisions that include dangerous things for your health and others... Uh, then that needs to be something that's taken into account. Malika Andrews just tweeted out that Kyrie Irving appears to have attended a virtual event for Manhattan District Attorney candidate Tahani Abushi at 7 tonight. The Nets tipped off against the Nuggets in Barclays at 7.30. So again, if it is meaningful for him to support this political candidate and he wants to lend his voice and his uh, presence to that virtually, which is, it's a Zoom, that's fine. But... Without your team having any idea what's going on with you, while the NBA is investigating you, while the Nets are putting out statements that include that he will be given the opportunity to explain what's going on when he's available and capable of doing so, these things happening concurrently are the problem, right? It's, it's not that he maybe is prioritizing something else. It's that when you're being paid millions of dollars under contract to do a job, you need to be available. Uh, final line of that statement that I just paraphrased. Kyrie will have the opportunity to address his absence when he is ready to do so. I mean, to that end, doesn't it all sort of stack up? It's not any one brick here. It's the combination of all of them. It's a little bit of the way Kyrie's been in the past. It's a little way that Kyrie's been in the recent. It's a little of the way mm -hmm. that Kyrie is is acting in these videos that are now everywhere with him dancing around. And, and look, I get it. His sister turns 30. He's, you know, a bazillionaire, and he wants to go out and party with her to, to celebrate the moment. I understand that human element. And frankly, as much as – but for me personally, I would never take that risk. I've got to be very clear about that. In a COVID world, he has different obligations. As part of a, a union that – is part of the NBA. He has different obligations. He has certain expectations on how he will act. And for him to, to sort of be flippant about that at the same time while he's going through whatever's keeping him away from his team but not telling anybody anything, I mean, you stack all of these bricks up and that's how you get the Lego castle here. And it's right. not any one thing for Kyrie. It's all of them. And can we also just say, and 
Somebody called me a communist uh, for my concerns about COVID. I, I got any number of mentions for trying to bring the conversation to that topic during Around the Horn today when asked about certain COVID-related things. And Stephen A's comment about we're playing basketball because of the many jobs. I get that. But we're not having live music despite the many jobs. We're not letting people go to restaurants despite the many jobs. The answer is not if a lot of people depend on this industry, then we have to keep doing it. Not when we've had 22 million cases of COVID in the U.S., 376,000 deaths, 4,000 people died on Thursday. And all of us lucky enough to not be in a hospital and seeing people dying and seeing people mourning every day are lucky. But we can't forget that that's happening around us because we want to prioritize the things that bring us comfort. And so, like, you can call me a communist all you want, but... We need to hold individuals accountable to as part of society beyond the contracts that you have. What are you doing at a party during a pandemic? You're right. I mean, everything you just said, by the way, pointing out facts, pointing out information and pointing out perspective and context is not something we'll ever apologize for. We need to keep doing that. We keep moving the goalposts because we're so sick of this. It's still here, everybody. Damn, in a bad mood again. Freddie and Fitzsimmons are next. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.